At U.S. Bank, when we say we're in it with you, we mean it. Not just for the good stuff, the grand openings and celebrations, although those are pretty great, but for all the hard work it took to get there. The fine-tuning of goals, the managing of cash and workflows, and decision-making. We're in to help you through all of it. Because together, we're proving day in and day out that there is nothing as powerful as the power of us. Visit usbank.com to get started today. Equal housing lender. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024. U.S. Bank. Electricity. A big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How many job losses does it take to stop a raging bull? A bull that produced the best month for the stock market in 33 years? Well, I think we might have found out today. It looks like 30 million. Yep, just as we learned that we had the best rally since January of 1987, an admittedly inauspicious year, but not until the fall. And COVID cases increased by just 1.2%. That's the slowest pace this month. We also got some incredibly bad news. More than 3.8 million jobless claims, bringing the total to more than 30 million over the past six weeks. The Dow tumbled 288 points. The S&P lost 0.92%, and the Nasdaq shed 0.28% today. This was an explosive situation. The market was overbought, and we got hit with yet another Great Depression-sized unemployment number. That is not exactly confidence-inspiring for me. I don't know about you. Okay, even when we saw it a great labor market like we did before the pandemic, I'd still be concerned that after this run from the bottom, stocks have gotten too hot. We're now at plus 7.2% in the S&P short-range oscillator. That's the one I swear by. This is the one that called the bottom when it fell to minus 20s in March. Anything above plus five is overbought. A 7.2 reading makes me concerned, which is why we've been selling, selling, selling for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Meanwhile, there are lots of people who are itching for an excuse to take profits. Today's jobless claims number gave them one, and there'll be a lot more bad news behind it. All right, the big question, does this market still have enough fire left in the embers to keep going? Well, let's think about what happened. What fueled this move from the market's lows? First, we got ridiculously oversold for days on end, and that's what this is. Okay, days on end. This was some of the ugliest down-to-up volume, meaning number of shares sold to bought in terms of on the decline that I have ever seen in my 40-year career. And this, what I just call, is just unsustainable. That is just way too much negativity. 
After the spectacular run, you know, that prop is gone. You can't seriously argue that this market's too pessimistic anymore. We've been rallying like crazy. Now, it doesn't mean we have to revisit the lows. I don't think we'll see this again. I don't. As a matter of fact, I think it's highly unlikely that that'll happen. I mean, you can only go so far, though, on an oversold uh, bounce. Not here, but not there. Second, when things got out of hand, the Federal Reserve decided to take a Malcolm X by any means necessary approach to propping up the economy. Fed Chief Jay Powell wanted to prevent the wave of bankruptcies that was about to wash over America, and he did it. He told us that if necessary, the Fed would even buy distressed debt, junk bonds, so that troubled companies would be able to stay alive. Once he made that commitment, those companies have had a much easier time raising money. We've had only a trickle of bankruptcies instead of a torrent. I think that is the right call. COVID-19 is nobody's fault, right? There's no moral hazard here. There's no danger of inflation either. This thing is devastating. Anything that minimizes the economic damage, I say, is worth doing. But we've known about the Fed's moves for a while now. You don't keep buying stocks on the same old information, do you? At a certain point, it's what we call baked in, okay? Baked in. This is baked in. This is baked in. Let's keep going. Third, we thought our health care system would be overwhelmed by COVID-19. But thanks to the lockdown, that hasn't happened. We flattened the curve. We avoided the worst case scenario. But again, that, that was a reason to buy two weeks ago. Not, not a reason to buy now. Fourth, until yesterday, we didn't have any drugs that could fight this vicious mad dog of a virus. Yesterday, we learned that Gilead's got an antiviral called remdesivir that gets you out of the hospital faster. That's really its stock and trade. It's not a cure but it could be the first component of a cocktail that makes COVID a lot more manageable. Dr. Anthony Fauci compared it to the AZT breakthrough in the fight against AIDS more than 30 years ago. Fauci's been noncommittal about every other potential treatment, but he sounded downright enthusiastic about remdesivir. And that's why the market exploded higher yesterday. Could we have more upside from this drug? Absolutely not. It is already baked in. We need more anti-pandemic fuel, especially when you consider that we're about to reopen the economy, and that creates a whole new level of risk if we let our guard down. There are things we could do to lessen the risk, but in most of the country, it's still very difficult to even get tested, including New York City. That's right, the worst hotspot in the country, and you you, you got to cool your heels before you can even find out if you're sick. We have no way of telling who's been exposed because we haven't set up any sort of con- uh, contact tracing system. Masks, yeah, not enough. CDC says that they're, uh, they're worth wearing, especially if you can get those uh, fancy N95s. Costco just made masks mandatory, effective May 4th. Don't go there without one. Since the crisis started, I've regarded Costco, not the government, but Costco as the gold standard here because I've followed that company for years, and they genuinely take the safety of their employees and their customers more seriously than anyone on Earth. Put it all together, and I think the good news on the coronavirus front, well, already priced in, which leaves us with earnings. Now, so far, we've discovered that the quarterly reports aren't that bad, but that's because January and February were so strong. B.C., before COVID, they offset a miserable March. The final month of the quarter and the little we've seen of April have been eh, downright hideous with a few exceptions, notable ones like Microsoft, which is uniquely situated to benefit from the stay-at-home economy, or Facebook, which saw some green shoots in April. As we go through earnings season, I think these hideous March numbers will start to take up more oxygen as a prelude to an even worse April. Apple and Amazon just reported solid quarters. Both stocks got hit in after hours trading, though. Amazon, uh, much harder because, well, they 
they uh, had to spend a lot of money to build out new capacity and cope with the pandemic. How could that have been a surprise? Apple had to pull its guidance, though, and, and they, their sales are bouncing back in April after a tough March. And I thought the quarter was beautiful. But when you hear pull guidance, what can I say? People get upset. These are some of the best companies in the world. Apple boosted its dividend and buyback. Talk about conviction. And, and e- even though their stocks are having some trouble, I like both. OK, I would buy them. They're going to get hit. All right. Uh, I would buy them, uh, particularly Apple, which I say own, don't trade. Don't forget, we got 5G coming down the pike, too. All that said, the rally from the lows, it made perfect sense, as did a big chunk of last month's crash. But now, 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 the bottom line is we're, we're going to need something new, something different. You know what? I don't know what it'd be. Without it, though, the market is simply stretched at these levels after a fantastic run. And if we rally without some new positives and judging by the market's muted reaction to tremendous numbers from Microsoft yesterday and great sales from Amazon and great earnings from Apple, I'm not going to blame you. And I can't blame anyone since my travel trust has been doing it. Bring in the register. Kyle in New York. Kyle. Hey, Jim. How you doing, buddy? All right, Kyle. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Got home from work, having a beer, doing all right. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's it's like the old good, days. Right? That's like the oldest. Don't it's throw right. a party, though. Don't go having that much no. fun. All right? No, definitely okay, good, not. Good. I want to be sure you didn't have that much fun. All right, because I'm not. What's up? So, so I bought Wayfair five weeks ago. Whoa, then you're a smart guy. $25.96. So I'm up about 400%. So I'm wondering if I should dump it or just ride it out. All right, listen to me. Listen to me. You take out your cost basis tomorrow morning, okay? I don't care where you take it. Just take it. And then, you know what? Take that money, and I want you to go buy, when the store's open, a cashmere sweater. You can celebrate with the rest of us. You can let the rest run. I'm not kidding. But I need that basis taken out. I need to go to Aiden in New Hampshire. Aiden. Jimmy Chill, what's going on? I'm the chill man, although the wife is a little on the fence about the chill situation. Go ahead. What's up? Uh, I got a question about Saber Corp. Uh, really? They signed a 10-year partnership with Google to have them handle parts of their IT system. Okay, yeah. Uh, I was trading at 22 and change since then, and it shot down to around 7 where it's currently sitting. Uh, Saber provides tech solutions to the, tech, or to the travel and tourism industries. So what do you think about this as a potential play without getting directly into those highly volatile markets? I, I, I just, you know, I, I can't go there. I don't know what travel's going to be like. And, you know, you're do, what you're doing there is saying, OK, listen, this one's so low it can bounce. And look, that makes sense. I mean, Carnival went to eight. You know, I mean, some of these things, Norwegian, they do bounce. But I'm going to take a pass. I need to go to Kenny in Kansas. Kenny! Booyah, Jim. How you doing? Well, Pop's name is Kenny. I always like Kenny's. What's going on? <laughs> hey, nothing much. Hey, so uh, I'm a long-term investor, uh, and I currently hold stock in AMC. Uh, and this week, wow. AMC announced that they will no longer uh, be showing Universal movies. since Universal decided to continue releasing the movies on demand. Um, so do you think that theater stock is a good long-term investment, or should well, this entertainment Comcast, I work for Comcast, so I'm, you know, I, I thought the high-speed numbers were great. People didn't seem to like the trade, but I don't know, own the stock. Uh, AMC, no. I, look, I think Adam Aaron is, is a genius. He grew up about, like, five minutes from me. But, I, look, it's, these are, I'm not going for the hard money. I don't want to go for the hard money. I want to go for the easier money. AMC is the harder money. Sabre is the harder money. And by the way, Wafer's hard money, too, or else I wouldn't tell them to take a little off the table. 
right? The market is just too stretched. It is. Let's just call it as we see it. It's okay. I've been pretty bullish. It's too stretched. We raised some cash. It's all right. No sin. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, most dentists are close to help uh, limit the spread of coronavirus to try to get to see a dentist. They won't let you. It's closed. Well, what does that mean for a company like Align Technology? And what does it mean in the future? Talking to the CEO. Then I'm revealing a new defensive play that you should put on your radar, especially when I went over this checklist. It's more attractive. And more employees are working from home. How is an old favorite and friend, Juniper Networks, faring? I'm talking with the CEO after earnings. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. of one of my all-time favorites, Align Technology here. The company that's making Visalign braces is right in the blast zone of the pandemic. It's hard enough getting a dental appointment for something uh, essential right now. Anything elective, well, forget about it. Too straightening, off the table. Now, Align was already facing real competition before the virus hit, which is why the company issued some tepid guidance in January. Then the lockdowns went into effect. The stock was eviscerated, plumbing from 277 and its February highs to 128 mid-March. Since then, though, this stock's made a comeback, especially as Wall Street's gotten more sanguine about betting on stocks that should benefit as we came out of quarantine. Then the company reported, uh, uh, again, tepid numbers. Let's call them that last night. Nobody really cared, though, about the sales and earnings business. We all knew the first quarter couldn't be good. However, management, to some degree, gave mixed commentary on the state of its global operations, and the stock declined 2.6% today. So should we worry here, or is this just a predictable pullback, given how much the stock had run in recent weeks, a lot like the stocks that I talked about at the top of the show? Let's take a close look with Joe Hogan, the president and CEO of Align Technology, and learn more about the quarter of the company's process. Hey, Mr. Hogan, welcome back to the show. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's good hey, to be here. Hey, Joe, I got to tell you. I figured you were going to have just a terrible quarter, frankly, because you can't get in to see a dentist unless there's something that requires you. Well, I don't even know how you get in. Everybody knew that. We almost have a healthcare recession. 
Uh, it, because it's the, everything that's elective is off the table. How were you able to pull off this number, which I regard as very solid, given the fact that you're not supposed to go to a dentist to get your teeth straightened? Well, you know, Jim, the first thing is, you know, we have a real-time business. We carry no finished goods inventory, so it's, it's real-time. You know, it's, we're, we're a mass-customized business. So we were cruising along outside of China. We were moving along really well and actually ahead of guidance up until mid-March. And, and, and that's when the, the market really fell out from underneath us and about 70% of the dental offices were closed around the world. And so it was a really mixed quarter, a strong, we were, it was a really strong quarter going into the last two weeks and then it just fell down. Yeah, but, don't but, you you know, think you, but I think you could say that China, it's a precursor. China was bad at the beginning. I know it's not as big as America, but China came back. And I would think that when you open up the electives, it's going to be the same in this country. You know, that's where we're optimistic, Jim. You know, China China's the only mark we have right now because they were first into the tunnel and, and first out. And wow. remember, China's 8% of our business. It's a very important part. And when you look at New Regress uh, January before they went in, and now our order rate is 80 to 85% back in that sense. And and not all the areas of China is back. Uh, Beijing has been slow and uh, Hubei have been slow too. Shanghai has been strong. Coastal provinces have been strong. So I'm optimistic about that. And it's it's a good vector for our businesses Uh as we look at the western side of the of the world coming up. I would, talk about, I would talk about a line in a different way than I typically would. I, mean, I love to talk about it because, you know, my daughter loves it and everybody in the selfie generation. I want to think of you as a lot of what happened in Microsoft last night with Satya Nadella. He said every company is now digital. There are no yeah. there's no choice. Every company. Now, I was speaking with Mark Benioff before this show because I know that Mark's all his kids have, have Invisalign, but more important, Salesforce has worked directly with you to become more digital. You are the most digitized company of a company that I've seen last that wasn't, so, so to speak. Tell us about the revolution of digital that you're doing. Well, you know, it's, it's all about uh, we really want a, you know, a digital format that we have. And you think, Jim, we have an end-to-end solution from our Itero scanner, which your daughter knows from the time that you're, you know, you're scanned, all the way to the 3D printing of those aligners. And that digital platform is so important. And I'm glad you mentioned Mark, too. We're big Salesforce fans. When you look at how you know, they've gone to the cloud, have they moved us to the cloud, we move our system to the cloud, too. So an end-to-end digital solution. And what's wonderful about this now, too, is that before these things were nice to have, you know, because it's a lot less invasive procedure from an orthodontic or dentist standpoint than with wires and brackets or traditional ways of analogs that go in the marketplace. With a digital solution like this, you just put patients and doctors and employees less in harm's way. You don't have to visit the doctor's office the most. And so where we were telling this before is productivity and good for patients or whatever. We see it almost as a necessity as we come out of this COVID world. Well, do you think there'll be a, a burst of pent-up demand? And do you think the dentists have enough PPE to be able to handle it? Well, you know, we're making our we're making PPE for our dentists too. So we have some time downtime in our in our printing labs right now, and we put together thousands of those things that we're sending out packages to our doctors, and uh, and we have access to PPE too. So we, we think we can help that way. I think there will be a surge in demand. You know, we've had a really strong balance sheet, Jim. We haven't had to make any cutbacks. We haven't lost on capacity piece. We've been able to leverage that too, and we're really prepared for a surge if things come back in that way. I think it is important that you've clearly made a, a bit of a, a no layoff pledge. You're not, you're not, if anything, you're probably adding people. Yeah, in fact, we just added 50 salespeople to China. There's some uh, engineering we had to add too. And we're selective in that sense and responsible. But, you know, is, we gear this business to, to grow 20 to 30% a year. And like I mentioned before, no finished goods. You have to be ready 
to be able to address that demand. There's no buffer between you and your and your patient base and your doctor. Base. All right. So between the Exocat acquisition and the digital work with Salesforce, uh, can I take off the table the idea that, uh, say, uh, another company can come in with a knockoff, so to speak, and somehow take co- uh, companies away, given how proprietary a line is versus where they thought you might have been two, three years ago? Yeah. Jim, there's two parts of that equation. One is from a knockoff standpoint. You know, one is just markets vastly underpenetrated, right? There's right. 300 million patients out there that want this. Even in the orthodontic segment, the 14 million patients, we're still less than 10% penetrated in that sense. So the demand profile is huge. Secondly, is what's missed is how hard it is to do what we do with this digital platform end-to-end, from scanner right. to the algorithm needed to 3D printing and make that work. So I think sometimes on the, the market, they see someone can make a, a plastic aligner. There's so much behind, so much software, so much uh, uh, technology behind that piece. It's really hard just to knock us off. Yeah, I really think it's you, you, you put a lot of distance between you and your competitors. Joe, great to see you on the show. And thank you for the no layoff pledge. It's terrific. Thanks, Tim. Great to talk to you. Thanks okay. for having me. That's Joe, Joe Hogan, Align Technology President and CEO. I haven't felt this good about this company in a long time. I need to see that moat built. I need to see some distance between them and everybody else. May have money's back after the break. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. As we wrap up in an insane month where the market soared while the real economy cratered, I think 30 million jobless claims in the last six weeks. I don't know. As I said at the top of the show, let's, let's say let's be a little cautious. Now, look, there have been some genuinely positive developments that feel like a light at the end of the tunnel. We've got the antiviral drug that makes COVID less devastating. We're gradually reopening the economy. The new case numbers have plateaued. And between the Fed and the Treasury, all kinds of businesses are getting some assistance that they need to stay afloat. Now, these are meaningful positives, but it doesn't change the fact that we're in a recession and it doesn't change the fact that we just had a gigantic move off the bottom that really encompassed all of that good news. And when you're in a recession, you know what you need to do? You shouldn't be aggressive. It doesn't work. You should be defensive. And you got to stick with the defensive stocks, like the CPGs, as we call them, the consumer packaged goods place. These stocks are big winners for the year, although they pulled back a bit over the last couple of weeks as Wall Street has gotten more bullish in the economy. Remember, they're buying the oils and buying the airlines, buying the cruise ships. Now, I see this as a buying opportunity for the likes of Clorox, Colgate-Palmolive. They both report tomorrow morning. Procter and Kimberly, two stalwarts that have already put up excellent numbers. But tonight I've got a new one for you. It's one I haven't talked about at all. 
And it's just as much of a household name as those the rest of them. And it's called Reynolds Consumer Products. It came public in January. Now, you know them as something that, look, if you pull open a drawer, I, I don't know, you pull open a drawer in my house in the kitchen, there it is, it's the Reynolds wrap, right? And then you open underneath the sink, and there it is, it's the hefty bags. Uh, and then the disposable cups got them. Easy foil, I don't use that stuff, but it's theirs too. Reynolds debuted at the end of January without much fanfare. The deal was sleepy but well-received. When the pandemic hit, the stock rolled over from mid-February through mid-March, like every stock did. Although since then, it's come roaring back, climbing from $24, uh, climbing from $24 back up to $32 and changes of today. So could this one have more room to run? I have to tell you, I think this is exactly the kind of company that should be able to thrive in a tough economy where millions of Americans are stuck out of work. And where are they? Where are they? They're at home. On the other hand, the stock already rebounded substantially from its lows, and this is a new story, so there could be some hidden pitfalls that make the stock less attractive. And that's why tonight we're going to play a little belated game of Know Your IPO. Yeah, you know, we interview so many people lately, I haven't had a chance to be able to fit this in, but that's okay. Particularly with Colgate tomorrow and Clorox tomorrow, if they're not perfect, this one comes down. So maybe we got to take a real hard look so we can buy it. Let's start with the financials. As consumer packaged goods plays go, Reynolds, well, it isn't much of a growth story. Their annual sales have been stuck at around $3 billion for the past five years. In fact, they were down more than 3% last year. How about earnings? Company's net income jumped from $68 million in 2015 to $302 million in 2017 for plunging $176 million in 2018. The earnings recovered to, 2025, to $225 million last year. That's some impressive 28% growth during a period where revenues were shrinking. Reynolds made it happen by finding ways to cut costs, dramatically boosting its gross margins. Wall Street likes that. You've got to remember, the last few years have been a slog for all, most of the consumer packaged goods industry. I mean, everybody loves Clorox now that COVID-19 has turned our world upside down. But not long ago, they were struggling to grow, too. So they got aggressive about margin expansion cutting costs. Reynolds has followed the same trajectory. All right, how about the balance sheet? Reynolds consumer products used to belong to Alcoa. I remember when it was used to be Reynolds itself, but you know, Alcoa sold this division to a private equity firm in 2007. Now, we always want to be careful with PE-backed IPOs because they usually have a lot of debt. They layer the debt on them. Reynolds is no exception. It's got $4.2 billion in total debt, although they paid down a decent chunk with the proceeds of the IPO. Fortunately, none of that debt comes due anytime soon. And now that Reynolds is public, I bet the company will use its considerable cash flow to gradually clean up the balance sheet. It's good. Now, the bull thesis here is pretty straightforward. Reynolds is the dominant player in nearly every category where it competes. They have 94% market share in freezer paper, 64% market share in that aluminum foil I talked about, 59% in wax paper, it's ours too, 51% in parchment paper, 43% in foam dishes, 22% in outdoor trash bags, 22% in party cups. And when they're, uh, when they're not number one, well, they're number two, like in regular garbage bags where their hefty brand has 20% market share, up two full percentage points last year. That kind of share take is almost unheard of in the consumer packaged goods sector. We've been hearing that Clorox was desperately fighting for share in trash bags. Well, now we know it was Reynolds they were fighting. On top of that, Reynolds gets 45% of its sales and about a quarter of its profits from private label. Those are the knockoffs, the store brand version of these products. We know consumers flock to private label during recessions. They always have. Nationally branded stuff starts to feel too expensive. But Reynolds wins either way. Plus, they're the exclusive private label supplier to Amazon for this stuff, which I think could be huge in an era where people are increasingly buying household supplies online rather than going to the store. Remember, Amazon was a miss on the bottom line. The top line was extraordinary tonight. So let's understand we're not talking about anything wrong with Amazon when it comes to selling Reynolds' uh, products. Best of all, this one's blissfully uncomplicated. 
It's an extremely low-cost, vertically integrated producer, sells roughly 98% of its merchandise here in the United States, stop worrying about the dollar, makes it more attractive during this period of turmoil in the global economy, and maybe down the road it means they have a lot of room to expand overseas. High-quality American consumer products still tend to be pretty darn popular in the rest of the world. Now, we know Barclays, very good house on these particular stocks, this kind of stocks, has been pounding the table on this one. They published a piece arguing that Reynolds could have best-in-class earnings growth over the course of 2020 and 2021. I thought the projections seemed pretty convincing. Plus, obviously, Reynolds is perfect for this moment. Their categories, trash bags, food bags, disposable dishware, aluminum foil, they're all on fires. Millions of people are forced to stay at home and cook for themselves, as we heard from Campbell's Soup last night. According to Nielsen data, remember Nielsen, incredibly important for ratings things, trash bags are up 15% over the last four weeks of the data. That's extraordinary. Food bags are up nearly 37%. Disposable dishware is up 8%, and aluminum foil, get this, it is up an astonishing 44%. Those are insane growth numbers. Obviously not sustainable, but let's take them when we can get them. The whole industry is seeing huge volume growth, and Reynolds in particular has real pricing power right now. However, it's not a perfect story by any means. Reynolds reports next week. I expect a phenomenal quarter, but some of that's already priced in the stock into that run. The thing is, the situation is temporary. Longer term, Reynolds has a lot of trouble generating revenue growth. They're not exactly a big innovator. And think about the products they make. If you believe Americans will keep avoiding restaurants until there's a coronavirus vaccine, then the growth could hold up through next year. But long term, it's simply just let's admit it's not sustainable. Second, Reynolds does have something I don't like. It has a two-tiered ownership structure where the public shareholders simply won't have control over the company. Instead, it's owned by this outfit called Graham Hart. Now, that's a billionaire. It's a billionaire from New Zealand, the guy who runs the private equity firm that took Reynolds public. Remember, this is a leveraged buyout story, and those don't have the best track records. Yes, we know. There's Burlington Stores. You know, I like that one. Dollar General's been one of the best. HCA. Uh, but you always have to think about it when it's P.E. This is Graham Hart's company. Hey, you're just alone for the ride. Still, I think there's a lot to like here. And the stock sells for just 18 times next year's earnings estimates. Makes it remarkably cheap compared to its peers. Clorox reports 20, uh, tomorrow 27 times earnings. Colgate's 23 times earnings. Procter 23 times earnings. This is only 18. Uh, now, those have much higher dividends and they've got a much longer track record. Reynolds supports a 1.9% yield. Bottom line, given the, the low valuation versus its other competitors, I think Reynolds is attractive here. But the company reports its first quarter out of the gate next week and the stock is run. So what do you do? I like this. I recommend putting on half your position here and then wait and buy more if it pulls back below 30 after the earnings. Let's go to Daniel in New York. Daniel. Hello, hello, and booyah from Brooklyn, New York, Mr. Kramer. How are you? Oh, man, my neighbor. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for taking my call. It's an honor to speak with you. Thank you. Good, good. Well, I've been building a position in a global medical device and food packaging company set to report earnings in May. And I know during times of uncertainty, fundamentals are crucial, and now more than ever, behind any investment decision. What do you think I am, Core Boss Man? I think that's a real good company. I love consistent companies. Uh, that are just closures and, you know, just t- you know, things for food, things for beverage. That is just a really good company. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that to me. I should be doing a piece about it. In this environment, Amcor is right. Let's go to Adam in New York. Adam. Hey, Jim. Adam from New York. I own Aficionado Coffee Roasters. We supply several markets, including the hospitality space. Question for you. While U.S. Foods took a big uh, hit from the hospitality sector, I see expansion for them in the grocery 
and healthcare. Not sectors. enough. Not enough. I don't want anything to do with food service. It's just too hard an industry right now. I don't want to touch it. Uh, all the different food companies I have that have any anything food service, it's just not good enough. I say no. Tara, Tariq in California. Tariq. Hey. Hey, Jim, how's it going? Terry uh, here from Los Angeles. All right, good to have you on the show. What's going on? Uh, calling about Cody stock, C-O-T-Y. No, no, we're best of breed players. Yeah, absolutely. Could the spike on to take over over Yale? But you know what? We are people who believe in Procter, okay? We believe in Kimberly. We will like Clorox if it comes down tomorrow. We own Clorox and, and, uh, and Colgate for the Chapel Trust. Not Cody, please. Step up in quality, not down in time of recession. There's a lot, I think, to like when it comes to the new Reynolds, R-E-Y-N. Buy some now, and if it pulls back, buy more. Much more mad money at it's COVID-19 nudges companies toward the cloud. How is an outfit like Juniper Networks holding up? I'm going to talk to the CEO. Then hedge funds have met their match, and I'm going to explain why. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. pandemic mean for the networking equipment space? On the one hand, the emergence of the stay-at-home economy has been used for the cloud, which requires tons of network hardware to run. But on the other hand, look, when when you have a global recession, I mean, come on, companies tend to get a lot more cautious about spending, even for technology. So which is it? Consider the case of Juniper Networks, okay? Juniper came roaring back to the 20s this week, up more than 30% in the course of one month, like many other stocks. Then on Tuesday night, the company reported what looked to be a decent quarter, and the stock got slammed. While Juniper delivered a tiny top and bottom line miss thanks to some supply chain challenges, management's guidance for the next quarter, to me, it looked really solid. At a time when so many companies have withdrawn their forecast, solid is good. The analysts love the quarter. Investors had a different reaction. Stock dropped nearly 4% yesterday before losing another 6.5% today. The reason, I think Juniper is really a victim of high expectations. Stock ran up into the quarter, so anything less than perfect was going to be a problem. Even after the sell-off, Juniper's only back to where it was trading just two weeks ago. I mean, maybe this was just a, a complete round trip. It'd be a buying opportunity. Let's check in with Rami Rahim. He's the CEO of Juniper Networks. Get a better read on the company's quarter and where it's headed. Mr. Rahim, welcome to Mad Money. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, James. Great to be here. All right. So first, I mean, to me, you're one of you have a almost four percent yield. You you surprised the upside. Uh, at the same time, I'm wondering whether people, even in your own, you know, I've got to tell you, even in your own handouts, you did talk about basically about how Juniper is back. So why don't you tell me where Juniper went and why you say they're back and how you're doing? Certainly. You know, we have been on a transformation journey over the last year or so. And we started to see the results of that transformation, the focus on cloud, the focus on 5G, on security, starting to pay off in Q4. And Q1 was a great quarter from a booking standpoint. We saw 10% year-over-year growth, growth across all of our geo regions, and growth across all of our customer segments. Uh, What we were impacted by are the global uh, supply chain constraints that make it very difficult for us to build and ship our products, but we're slowly but surely working through all those challenges. And I actually expect to be at close to 100% capacity 
by the end of this quarter. So by all means, I'm actually quite proud of the results we delivered in Q1. But also, I, mean, I think that uh, Satya Nadella set a good example last night on Microsoft talking about work from home and that not everybody is a loser from work from home. Some companies are winners. I, I, I have to believe that this is Juniper's time from that respect. There is no doubt that this pandemic has been a reminder of just how critical the work we do at Juniper in, in many ways, we are the keepers of the global network. We help to build the internet along with our peers, and we're delivering the network technology that's enabling us to move the economy along, to work from home, to uh, for our kids to be educated at home, for us to conduct e-commerce. So I've always sensed, uh, uh, I've always had a very strong sense of respons- responsibility for the work that we do at Juniper, Jim, but I have to say that that sense has gotten even greater as we go through these time times. All right. So, Rami, uh, when you go through the handout, I've got to admit, I mean, I'm not a type of I'm going to be called generalist. And there's a chart that I said, OK, I'm just going to surrender. The Contrail SD1 solution for enterprise branch was a little bit beyond my ken, but maybe you can give us an example of a customer we might know and explain how this works for them. Well, we're certainly leveraging our technology today to help those on the front lines of this battle against the virus do their work to help patients, to educate our children. A great example of how we are leveraging our technology, security, and what we define as the AI-driven enterprise, the, uh, the essentially a networking solution that drives itself, that heals itself, that operates itself, would be Dartmouth College, uh, a great customer of ours. They've had to pivot to a complete online education system, and they moved 6,000 students online in a matter of two weeks, and I don't think they could have done it without the services and the solutions that Juniper offers them. Well, that's incredible. I mean, I, I have to believe that it is going to be a problem for so many colleges, and they won't know who to turn to. How did they know to go to Juniper? Well, I have to say, this is our strength. I mean, we were born as innovators for the high-scale, mission-critical, highly automated network, and college campuses are an ideal environment for Juniper to shine. You know, we have, over the last uh, year or so, been embarking on this strategy to deliver the AI-driven enterprise for the next decade. We bought a company called Miss Systems just a year ago, MIST reported a record quarter in the Q1 timeframe, and it's precisely because of this cloud-delivered AI-driven engine that is resonating so much with our customers. In fact, I announced in the last earnings call that because of MIST, in conjunction with our traditional Juniper products for switching, we managed to land three new Fortune 10 accounts with this technology and the solutions we're offering. Now, um I also know that this is a very tough time for a lot of companies. Judging from what I'm hearing from you, uh, you're not a company that's going to have to lay off people. You can be able to pledge that you can keep people. We, we, are, we don't plan on laying off anybody. We actually saw a great Q1. Momentum looking at, uh, going into Q2 was solid. As I mentioned, our booking strength was fantastic. We, we posted 17% year-over-year growth in, in the cloud segment, 5% year-over-year growth in enterprise solid switching and security growth numbers. So at this point, we don't anticipate having to do anything like that. And how about 5G tailwind when we get there? 
Absolutely, 5G is gonna be the next big inflection point in the telco segment. Is something that we're very much counting on. If anything, this COVID crisis has just been a reminder of how important the global network is, and mobility is one of the most important ways in which we connect to that uh, to that network. And 5G is all around mobile, the next mm-hmm. speed increase in mobile connectivity. We offer the network transport, the security, and the cloud infrastructure to power 5G. Excellent. Well, this is great to have uh, the reintroduction of Juniper, and I'm glad you did it on our show, Rami. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. That's Rami Rahim, the CEO of Juniper Networks. Almost 4% yield. Good story coming back. I like what I hear. Mad Money's back after the break. Sharon in New York. Sharon. Hi, Jim. How are you? Okay, Sharon. How about you? Good, good. Everything is well. Uh, just wanted to see your thoughts on Royal Dutch Shell, RDSA. I was worried. Royal Dutch Shell, I remember when they boosted the dividend, told everybody it was great. Yet last night, do you know that they cut their dividend for the first time since World War II? I say no, thank you. Let's go to Illinois. Uh, PJ in Illinois. PJ. Hi. Thank you. How are you, Mr. PJ doing fine. How about you? I'm good. I just need some um, valuable advice okay. on a couple of stocks. Uh, plays, children's plays. We're I'm- not recommending any retailers here other than the, the watch retailers at Walmart, Amazon, Target, uh, Costco, which I really like right here. Think good on the mask. And Home Depot. And if Home Depot goes up with 200, I'm going to get it to the Chapel Trust. Let's go to... Uh, Anthony in Nevada. Anthony. Hey, Kramer. Got a big Las Vegas booyah for you. I love Vegas. I love Vegas. What's up? We love you. Thank Thank you you. so much for everything that you and your staff do. The staff makes me look good every night. Although I I put a little weight, but what I really have is my shirt wasn't tucked in. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Okay, I got a quick question. I bought some FNV Franco Nevada at 107 at the beginning of the month. Since then, we've been working been working on expanding my position. Today, we're at about 132. Should I keep growing my position, wait for a pullback? Uh, I like Franco Nevada very much, but, you know, I don't like it as much as, as Barrick. But FNV's been real, real good. I think you got a winner there. Matter of fact, if that comes back anymore, I'm going to tell you to buy some more. Hey, Wanda's on the phone from North Carolina. Wanda! Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. And thank and thank you for all your guidance, especially in these difficult times. Um, what is your opinion on investing in Cracker Barrel? The stocks seem to be moving I have always thought after the Cracker Barrel's cheap. And during my pre-Jimmy Chill days, I used to love to go there for that I, I, apple pie, vanilla ice cream. And Regina, get this, she'll love this slice of cheese. She's our executive producer, and she's a masked man, woman, whatever. But right now, I want to stay away because what's happening... Um, what, what's happening? My ties and my pants there. What's happening is is that people aren't driving that much, so we're going to hold back from from um, from Cracker Barrel. But I, I like them. Hey, how about we go to Jake in Kentucky? Jake, Jake, Jake. Hi, Jim. I'm a college junior majoring in finance and accounting. My friends and I watch you all the time, and we'd like to get your thoughts on UPS stock during this pandemic and what you think will happen to it after well, the pandemic. Well, first, first, see, younger people do watch. It's not just people, you know. 
whatever. All right, UPS got new counter May CEO. The quarter itself wasn't that good. De-risk the stock. If you can get it at 90, I would tell you that that's where you want to go. It's at 94. I think the market's going lower. So that may be the way to do it. I'm going to Dennis in Michigan. Dennis! Jim, thank you for taking my call. Of course. Uh, much appreciated all you do for us. Action Alert member here as well. Thank you. Oh, man. I'm telling you. You know we've been raising cash. I'm with you. Hey, right. uh, your thoughts, please, on EXEL. Excellent. We've liked this one the whole way. And sometimes we look smart and sometimes we look dumb, but we like the spec and we love the, you know, we like the, t- the cancer treatment specs. Okay. Hey, how about we go to Trent in Florida, please? Trent. Hey, Kramer. How's it going, man? Not bad. How about you? Good. Thanks for taking the call. It's been about 14 years since I've called in, so I just want to send a quadruple booyah your way. 14 years. Holy cow. I didn't have hair then. What's up? You look the same. I'll get to watch you every morning now that I'm home. Trim? You look the same. Trim? Yeah, my question. My question for you is Raytheon Technologies. Ticker symbol. All right, stock's rolling over today. Uh, It's almost a 3% yield. I don't like aerospace right here. I think I do like defense, though. I say you get a little bit lower, and then we're good. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good other lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. When you're running a hedge fund, you need a strategy that lets you make money in good times and bad, and that's the whole point. Some fund managers are sleuths; they go looking for financial chicanery. Others make big macro bets, wagering against interest rates or big indices like the S&P 500. But the most common style is to make bets on individual sectors. You buy the hottest stocks on the way up, and you short the coldest ones on the way down. For example, my hedge fund in the late 90s, we owned the dot-coms on the way up. Then in March of 2000, we started shorting them in aggressively. Yeah, all the way down. When you do it right, you can make a name for yourself as a manager who's made big money when the averages were getting obliterated. When I did that in 2000, I hung up my spurs and went to Disney World. All right, well, not literally, but you know what I mean, kind of metaphorical. I retired from money management on a high note and focused on journalism. Journalism really defined and also to run my charitable trust, which brings me to the last few months. For the first few weeks of the lockdown, it was a fabulous time for hedge fund managers who were betting against the market. The pandemic made many businesses totally uneconomic. So these managers just kept pressing their bet. They kept working and working and working. Think about it. The oil companies were struggling to make money at 30 bucks. Now they're fronting oil in the teens and briefly negative. Negative 37. They're going to bleed from the eyeballs at those prices. Same goes for the airlines. They're getting load factors that are 90% empty. Unheard of. Cruise ships. They're not even allowed to sail. Rail restaurants mandated to be shuttered. Home walls closed. You know what that's called? It's called... Shooting fish in a barrel. The short sellers couldn't help but make money. These companies, by nature, have a ton of debt. They have cash, but not enough cash to get through a pandemic. Without that cash, without access to capital, well, these companies were doomed. But the shorts forgot one thing. The shorts forgot that there's a Federal Reserve. You see, Fed Chairman Jay Powell was determined not to repeat the mistakes of his predecessors. During the financial crisis, the Fed waited way too long to take action because they were worried about moral hazard. First, they didn't even see it coming at all. 
you know, I mean, they actually thought that the economy was fine. They know nothing! Well, anyway, uh, they were effectively afraid of rewarding bad behavior of the banks. But this time around, this time around, they don't have that problem. This time, deserves got nothing to do with it. It's not American Airlines' fault that people are afraid to fly now that the coronavirus is all over the place. It's not Royal Caribbean's fault that this thing's so darn contagious. It's not the oil industry's fault that the whole world had to go into a lockdown, so there's very little demand for crude. So the Fed decided to become a bank, a lender of last resort, just like the payroll protection program kept people from losing their jobs, they decided to effectively backstop pretty much any public company that was running out of money. All they had to do was say that they'd be willing to buy distressed debt, and a lot of these companies were able to borrow without even having to <laughs> go to the Fed. Suddenly, the fish in the barrel disappeared, but were they replaced by they replaced by leaping, short-eating piranhas who wreaked their revenge this week when they devoured all the bears who had overstayed their welcome. Think of it like this. If you were shorting the airline stocks that seemed desperate for bankruptcy, then one day the Fed says, nope, they're going to live. What are you supposed to do? Well, we don't really know how to value them, but we do know they're worth more than they were before the Fed took action. Many short sellers doubted this initially. They held out, maybe for the airlines, maybe for the restaurants, perhaps for the retailers, certainly for the oils. Don't I know it? I had to dye my Jimmy Chill togs to chide all the haters who despise me for saying, yes, oil stocks, I don't like them, but they bought them. Well, this, this week, this week, the shorts were overmatched. Some hedge funds actually lost not just their whole year, but their whole enterprises last night after the close. I saw it happen. These shows who shorted stocks near the bottom, well, they had to cover substantially higher prices, racking up hideous losses. Oh, it looked like the best shorts ever, especially the oils. Here's the thing. All the forced buying from short sellers has been the fuel for this last leg of the rally, and that's terrible fuel. Once all the shorts have covered, the fuel's gone. Hence, uh, that's the reason, well, let's just say add them to the list of... I don't know the right price for the stocks of some of these companies that are right in the COVID-19 blast zone, many of which were asked about this evening. They are just too low a few weeks ago. Now they could be too high thanks to the short squeeze. Look at it this way. If we can get a vaccine next year, these stocks are indeed worth owning. Go book a cruise. I saw some prices for cruises. Hey, you know what? They clean them up and get the vaccine. You take the whatever. But the but it would be the fastest vaccine ever developed. If it takes longer, the airlines, and the retailers, the oils and the cruise lines, well, they're just going to head back down. To me, that's too hard. Why buy battleground stocks when you can simply stick to stocks of good companies with strong earnings that are coming down anyway, like Apple with a dividend boost and a great balance sheet? Forget bottom fishing. It's impossible to value these COVID-19 losers unless you're an epidemiologist. And even then, Mr. Epide- Dr. Epidemiologist... I wouldn't chance it. Stick with Kramer. Look, Apple is fine, but here's what's going on, I think. The, the uh, let's say the battle, the tiff, whatever with China is really heating up. Uh, and it's really hurting the semiconductor equipment stocks. And by nature, I also think it's going to hurt Apple by association. The president is just furious about what the Chinese have done in his eyes. And I've got to tell you, I think that it's the beginning of a new period of very harsh rhetoric between the two countries. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I'll see you tomorrow. Markets in Turmoil with Scott Wapner is up next. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.